what works and what doesn't. Understanding what works. What works for me. Understanding your own business to know what works. What works for you. This is What Works. Imagine yourself sitting at a table. In front of you, there are all your favorite art supplies. Maybe there are paints, crayons, or pastels. Maybe there's a stack of magazines and illustrated books that you can cut up for a collage. Maybe your art is music and your favorite instrument is on the table. Or maybe, like me, your favorite art supply is a tablet, one you can draw and paint with as well as create written art. On their own, the art supplies don't really amount to much, right? The value of a tube of paint, a trumpet, or a pen is based on what we have the potential to do with it. Art supplies are tools and raw materials for creating. We imagine something and start to make it, or we get inspired and follow that inspiration. I'm Tara McMullen, and this is What Works, the show that makes business make sense for small business owners. Now, our values can also be raw materials for what we create in the world. They give us something to work with, make with, imagine with. The strength in our values isn't in simply knowing them or putting them on our websites. Their strength is in what we do with them. What's more, we can express those values in different ways to create different things, Just like you and I will create something completely different with the same palette of paint, you and I might build very different businesses even if we're working from the same set of values. The way I build my business model or core competency based on a value for community care is going to be different than the model or competency you build out based on your value for community care. So maybe now you can imagine sitting at a table with your values in front of you. They're the raw materials you have to play with. And also at that table is what you have to offer and who you're offering it to. Now you get to make art. That might sound like a simplistic or even naive way to think about business building. But let me tell you, it works. And not only that, it makes choices like how to market, what price to set, or how to sell much easier too. Starting with your values as raw materials helps you shape your business instead of letting shoulds and supposed tos shape it. Now, my guest today is a perfect example of this. Liz Wiltsey is the founder of the Future Proof Skills Lab and the host of Sustainably Human at Work. She's a trauma-informed abolitionist skill builder on a quest to support small business owners to create more intentional, imaginative, and connected workplaces. Liz and I talk through the values her business is built on, as well as the movements her business uses as the focal point of her work. Plus, she sheds some light on how both our needs and our values end up manifesting in different ways, as well as how that applies to the workplace. Now, let's find out what works for Liz Wiltsey. Liz Wiltsey, welcome to What Works. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I have been looking forward to this conversation. Um, And I think we should probably just start at the very foundation of things. This month, we're talking about operationalizing your values. So how do you describe the values that your business is built on? Yeah. um, So I've been thinking about this a lot because I'm also 
operationalizing how someone else would walk through this. Yes. And so it's like, whoa, cool. And so for me, I divide values into kind of two categories. There's what I think of as like your North Star values, um, which are that sort of like guiding where are you headed and then constellation values, which are like, how do you get there? Mm. And that differentiation has helped me. So for me, my North Star values are belonging and efficiency, mm. which is a whole massive some like Capricorn realness for folks who are into astrology. It's um, my rising sign, so I'm right. like feeling it already. Well, and you're Virgo anyway, aren't you? Like yeah. You're mm -hmm. also, there's a like Earth sign thing that happens here. Yeah. Um, so, um, but belonging and efficiency, and for me, there are things that roll up into belonging. Um, so accountability, community, solidarity, things like that all make belonging possible. Mm -hmm. um, so like for some people who align pretty close to where I'm at, their, their value might be community. Their value might be connection. Those things to yeah. me sort of fall under belonging. And then the how do we get there? is imagine, iterate, and then intentionality. So of course the right form of that verb doesn't quite work there. We've got, we've got the alliteration, but the like verb tense isn't quite right. But we're making it work. We're making it work. Yeah. And so for me, it's like, how do we get those things done? Which is, we're gonna make choices on purpose. It's the intentionality part. Imagine is like, yeah, I know it doesn't exist this way. That's okay. We can we can imagine that something else is possible and then iterate, which is it's OK not to know exactly what is happening at every minute all the time. Um, and that one's been a really big lesson for me of the last year and change, mm -hmm. because somehow I give myself an enormous amount of grief for um, doing things like changing the name of my podcast yeah. and like and going well, you were supposed to, when you started your business, know what it was going to be for absolutely ever and never change anything. And if you change the name or you change the website or you whatever, you're like doing something wrong. So I'm trying very, very hard to lean into, yes, iteration is a part of what we're doing here. Like it's not a, it's a feature. It's not a bug. And that like lets my system kind of let it go some days. Some days, no. Sometimes my system doesn't let anything go, right? So, but we're doing our best. Um, so yeah, Absolutely. so those are mine. Awesome. Can you say a little bit more about efficiency? Because that one surprised me a little bit, right? Uh, well, particularly since um, one of the things that really rocked my world and changed how I think about everything about three, four years ago was Trisha Hersey, who's the NAP ministry um, mm -hmm. on Instagram, Twitter, other places really drew the connection between productivity culture. And she was one of really the first people that I saw talking about what we would now call toxic productivity culture, which mm -hmm. is something that's a lot more, there's a lot more people writing about it now than I think there were about four years ago. And that really shifted for me because, you know, I grew up super high performing. Um, I've worked at Silicon Valley. I've done a lot of things that are really, my worth is in how much I produce in a day. Mm -hmm. And so hearing that was both life-giving, 
and in the only way it can be that is also sort of like, oh, this is shaking everything I know sort of to its foundation, right? So holding that kind of both and. So in there, for me, it's really, really important to differentiate what I mean by like productivity and efficiency are not the same to me. And sometimes they get conflated. And one of the things that was also news to me was that I was uh, allowed to be a person with needs. Didn't know. Didn't know. Right. (laughs) Total news to me. And that capacity is finite because Mm -hmm. I really just thought that we were supposed to exist as like infinite humans. We were supposed to have infinite capacity. I do believe we are infinite humans. Um, But that we're supposed to have endless capacity all the time. And one of the things that helps me guard my capacity is being efficient about the things that can be. Because, like, not Mm -hmm. everything can be super efficient. Deep, deep relating is not super efficient. But you know what is? Calendaring can be efficient. Systems in your business. And I know that you're a big, like, systems human, right? So, like, systems in your business can be efficient. And if the systems are efficient you have more space as a human to do those deeply inefficient relational pieces. And for me, that's just so, so important because like I will say, I can't be wasting space on like super goober stuff. Mm. I just Mm -hmm. can't. Like it will, it makes me, it upsets me. It upsets me. And that's when, when I was doing kind of this values exercise for myself, um, which at the time was very much based out of Brene Brown's work. Since Mm -hmm. then, it's evolved and iterated as things do. But recognizing that efficiency has that place as a value helped it make sense why when things were deeply inefficient in certain parts of my life, I got really mad. Mm -hmm. Like mad, like (laughs) angry mad, (laughs) right? (laughs) So, So I was like, oh, this is important in a way that like doesn't align with just like something that I'm kind of into. So it is it is that holding that efficiency is in service of deep relation and like in service of belonging in many ways mm-hmm. um, and not just like let's be efficient for efficiency's sake. If I and, and sometimes it comes out and sometimes I don't do the best job at messaging it. But if I'm facilitating like a digital meeting, one of the things that's important is that it start and end on time. Because that's the window of capacity that I have and that I have asked other people to have for this thing. And so some people look at it and go, why are you so obsessed with like when this ends? And I'm like, because that's what we agreed to. That's what people consented to. And Mm -hmm. I want to like keep that because for me, some of the ways that I manage my whatever is paying attention to my calendar. And going, okay, I've got these things in this way and I have an idea of what kind of energy that'll take from me. Because again, not infinite uh, news, not infinite, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, so that's sort of where that efficiency piece comes in. Does that make sense? Absolutely. You are <laughs> speaking my language. <laughs> All of that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> 
Yes. Uh, lack of efficiency also makes me extremely angry. <laughs> and I think it's, it is for exactly the reason that you're, you're saying it's like, I need, because I am so invested in deep thinking, critical thinking, um, trying to relate to people in ways that I don't have natural ability for, like those things are super, super important to me. So I can't, like exactly like you said, I cannot waste energy and capacity on things that could be efficient but aren't. Mm -hmm. um, so yes, just all of that, 100%, it totally makes sense. I'm curious whether you see a difference between the business values you have and the personal values you have. And, and can you speak to sort of the relationship between those things as you see them? Yeah, I've thought about it in terms of like, oh, are there different values for me as a human than there are in my business? Um, and for me, the answer is no. Um, mm -hmm. The things I am lucky because I have been able to build a business that aligns with my values. So I don't have to like pick different ones or be something else. Sometimes I think that you do what you are. And sometimes I think that, that they, I guess that's not true for everyone, but it's been true for me for a really long time. So yeah, so they're not different. Those pieces are the same. I think it is, um, how does it play out is slightly different, but I'm sort of always searching for those places of how do we, how do we relate and belong? I need efficiency in my, <laughs> in my private life as much as I need it. Mm -hmm. It's like, my friends are a really specific type of human. <laughs> my roommate is also a Capricorn it's fine we're good <laughs> that's awesome Th there was another piece that I I wanted to kind of figure out how it relates to your personal values as well and that's right on your website you say there are three lenses that inform your work trauma-informed abolitionist and anti-racist and I can sort of see those as almost not modalities, but almost like modalities in relationship to your values. And I just, I would love to hear how you see those things as relating to your values um, and, and how they play in your business, either similarly or differently to the way your values do. Yeah. Um, I think everything comes back to my values and they're just sort of additional helpers in some ways. So one of the things that's interesting to me is uh, trauma-informed. You see it a lot more now than you did when I first started having that conversation. And you see people going like certified trauma-informed. There is no real certification for trauma-informed. There's no like stamp th thing that says this is what we mean and this is what that is. Um, there are people who... Um, will put it into their practice in different ways, but there's not even a certification for therapists. And there's certainly not one for, um, I've seen a couple that have popped up in the past year and change now. But so it's interesting because people use it without there being any sort of common discussion of what it really, what it means. Trauma-informed to me is about building internal and external trust. So trust in yourself, trust in other people. And recognizing that that happens at a different pace for everybody and that it is deeply impacted by the stuff that we've been through. And then the other piece is that you're your own best expert on your life and that what works for me may not work for you. 
So that's kind of the big, what I would say, the big mode of trauma-informed. The other one is that people have to be able to make choices about their life, mind, body, soul, what have you. And that anywhere we can be adding places where people can make more choices, better. And so in the workplace, when you think of the number of places you have control or choice versus where you don't, those things can be traumatizing, right? If you are in a workplace where you consistently don't have any control over your own anything, that's going to impact you in some kind of way. Is it going to be like deeply rooted trauma? Maybe, maybe not. But like, is it going to impact you? Absolutely. So that's a sort of trauma-informed lens. I will also say that I don't believe that you can actually be trauma-informed without being anti-racist. Because anti-racism, particularly as a white person, is about unlearning, is about saying like, yes, there are systems that harm us all. And what is my place in dismantling those systems? And I don't think you can be fighting for trust and choice and sort of internal knowing without also saying like, these are the things that are happening in the world. And then anti-racist kind of bleeds into abolition for me. Um, so abolition is the <laughs> destruction of the police and prison state. And where it comes back around is that people all over the world, but I will specifically talk about the United States, are criminalized for not getting their needs met. So it is our duty and responsibility to build a world where people can get their needs met. Like that is simple and complex all at once. And that I think the thing that people miss about abolition is imagining like, oh, it's all about tearing something down. And to two folks, I would say, dig in on what abolition really is. Look at Miriam Kaba, look at Patrice Cullors, look at Richie Reseda, um, look at Jenea Future Khan. Um, they're all talking about Adrian Marie Brown. They're all talking about what another world could look like and imagining what is possible and saying, I know this doesn't exist now, but it could. And so those three pieces come together and say, I believe all these things are possible at work. Like, I do believe that um, capitalism has to go as a broader system. But at this moment, I believe that we have been socialized to not think anything is possible, to imagine that we can't change our workplaces, to imagine that like we're just stuck. And abolitionist organizing has really helped me in that one, it, that was the first place I learned I was allowed to have needs. That was where that came from for me. And it also says like, hey, another world is possible. What can we do? We were never meant to be alone. We were never meant to do this individually. So how can we get our needs met as a collective? And yeah, we're going to have to think we're going to have to get really creative about it. Like, no, the solutions don't exist right now. That's okay. We can move. <laughs> we can move into stuff. So that's how those three play. And then to me, those are just deeply, deeply, deeply parts of belonging. 
right? So I'm not sure that any of those are super efficient, <laughs> but I, but I'm working on it to be, to be honest. Um, <laughs> I, you know, there's pieces, but there's pieces of organizing that can be more efficient because again, some of, some of my work, you know, I work with small businesses and then I organize here in Los Angeles because we have, I will say, we have some of the best organizing in the world here in Los Angeles. And although I will also say anywhere there are people who are doing a thing together is fantastic organizing. So in that, there's things like most of us who are organizing in Los Angeles are doing it on top of our full-time jobs. So how do we have the capacity to do a full-time job and organize. Some stuff's got to be more efficient than it is because it helps us like manage our capacity better. So it does, you know, we're not <laughs> deeply relational. Things are not efficient and things like Zoom calls and email lists can be efficient. You'll hear more from Liz Wilkie in just a minute, but first a word from our What Works partners. This episode of What Works is brought to you by Mighty Networks. Small businesses run on community. We buy from businesses that connect us to each other, our neighborhoods, and ourselves. It's the feeling you get when you walk down Main Street or gather at the park for an event. And the same is true online. Today's digital small businesses run on the incredible power of communities coming together across thousands of miles. Mighty Networks gives you a potent tool for bringing your digital community together. Host events, offer courses, curate resources, and connect members to each other. Find out how Mighty Networks can power your community-based business at MightyNetworks.com. If you appreciate the in-depth conversations and outside-the-box business topics we talk about here on the show, you'll also love our newsletter, What Works Weekly. Each week, I share an article about business at the intersection of leadership, power, and culture. Plus, I also share what I'm reading, listening to, and watching around the web. To get What Works Weekly delivered to your inbox each Thursday, go to explorewhatworks.com weekly. This is the reason that I wanted to do this series on operationalizing your values in the first place, is that it's it's one thing to say, these are the, the values that my business is built on. These are the things that I care about as a human being. But then to actually put them into action and say, what does that look like in this business? What does that mean for my marketing? What does that mean for the way that I structure a program? What does that mean for the price that I set for something? Those are the questions that really, really light me up because they are deeply creative, imagina uh, imaginative <laughs> questions um, that encourage us to say it doesn't have to be the way we were told it should be or the way it, we've been instructed to do it, it can be whatever we want to make it. And then we start to see how these um, sort of little p politic uh, issues that are so important to building a better world can actually be lived out in our businesses in a very concrete, very real way. So 
I want to get into, you have done an absolutely beautiful job of kind of laying out what your values are, how they relate to each other, some some of the ways that they cause you to think about things in your business. And I am so deeply grateful for that. So thank you. And I want to hear more about how your business runs and the details of how you're making things more efficient, how you're building choice into uh, your work, all of those kinds of things. What is something that sticks out to you as a system or a choice that you've made or a way you do things that you're really proud of that's based on living these values out? A lot of the work that I put in the world comes from recognizing that like there was a gap between a discussion of like vulnerability and how you do that in the world. And that is the particular brand of neurodivergence that my brain likes to has, right? Um, And there's a long time where I just sort of thought everybody thinks about things the way I do. um, And then I realized that that's not true. So most of my work comes out of a place of trying to break it down. Um, So one of the places was uh, when I first started uh, what I would call a trauma-informed leadership development community, um, which again, some of this has evolved in language. I knew that we needed to be able to have a way to resource ourselves, talk about resourcing ourselves. So I was like, we are talking about needs. And then I needed to be clear about what I meant when I said needs at work. So I've, my research comes out of lots of places. Um, There's some Gallup, there's some brain science, Gallup, the company, um, there's some brain science um, in there. There's some polyvagal theory in there and some from Daniel Pink's drive. And what I came to was for needs. Mind you, I am not the first person to talk about needs. Uh, This is not the only way to talk about needs. (laughs) This is one way to talk about needs. Um, One of the biggest ways I operationalize some of that in my life is um, using A instead of the as a way of talking about things. So instead of saying this is the way to think about things, I say this is a way to think about things. And that feels like uh, super semantic and like very small. And yet, <laughs> and and yet shifting to A is like, oh, there are other ways of doing this thing. And I'm not the only one. So for me, those four needs, and I call them the four elemental needs at work. Um, and I can explain kind of what that looks like in a minute. But they're safety, connection, valued slash appreciation, because there's some conversation in my mind about um, whether people can have value. Um, And I don't really want to lean into that, but there is also a certain thing that that word is that appreciation is not. And then similarly, growth and mastery are not exactly the same concept, but I also want to be abundantly clear when we say mastery, we are not talking about over other people, but that sort of uh, desire to get be really good at things is like sort of encompassed in mastery. And then growth is obviously about it's about getting better, like being on a quest. I was watching a lot of Lord of the Rings when I first started doing this as well. I was like, we're going on a quest. It's on a quest. You need like Gandalf. We're going on a quest. Um, and. And so if you put those four things together. 
those are the baseline needs that a lot of us have at work in order to like thrive. And so then I've gone through different phases where I've made it much, much more complicated for people and myself. Um, And then I have simplified it down to, it's a four-part Venn diagram, which I can, which is coming on the internet, probably in time for this interview to actually be in the world. That would be so great. We love a deadline. Um, (laughs) Excellent. But that four part is about the strategies you can use to meet those needs. So some of those strategies are things like talking about money. Because people forget that money is deeply tied to safety. And like if we don't have that sort of basic safety need met, you can't get anywhere else. You can't get somewhere else. Your brain can't get there. So all of it for me is what are these needs that I have at work and how do we talk about them in a way that people can understand? So one of the pieces that I also use, I love um, from Jake Ernst to his MSW Jake on Instagram. Um, he developed a thing called Roots of Safety, which is trauma-informed love languages. and he found in his practice found eight buckets of like safety seeking behavior. And one of the things that I love, love, love about this model is that there's no hierarchy between these buckets. Like so often people will say this way of finding safety is okay and this way is not. So like folks who lean towards, um, you know, private retreat, like small dark spaces are seen as like not okay versus like people who want to meditate are seen as totally fine. And those are just two different routes of safety. Um, Mm -hmm. Meditation is in um, inner guidance is what Jake calls it. Um, But so there's eight of them and being able to look Mm. at them and go, oh, this stuff, this is what works for me. These are the things that work for me. And then also in in sort of paging through, it's an Instagram post. I'm flipping through it with my hand. You can see me because we're audio only for sure. But in looking at them, you begin to see that other things are possible. And and like, oh, I'm a structure and certainty person. I think lots of earth signs are structure and certainty people. Um, love me a calendar. But I also love a journal. I also love a weighted blanket. I also love deep and meaningful relationships. All of those are in different routes of safety. Um, And I've seen both in working through it for myself and then working through it with other people, how helpful it is just to be able to go, oh, these are ones for me. And I hadn't thought about these, but I could maybe add them into my repertoire and all of Mm -hmm. it is saying we are allowed to feel safe at work we don't have to exist in this space that says like safety is a thing i feel at home like we can bring it well sometimes we don't even have that right but we can bring it to work with us um so that framework um and narrowing it down to what are some of those strategies Mm -hmm. has helped me lots and lots and lots Yeah. What I love about something like this is, yes, it's good for identifying your own 
needs and like naming those things and, and being able and having more consciousness around them. But I also love systems like that because it allows me to see uh, the differences that other people might bring to the table. And so, cause I know like things that make me feel comfortable make other people feel deeply uncomfortable, <laughs> right? And maybe not, maybe that's a little extreme, but I don't think about those things on a regular basis. And to have some sort of um, methodology or visual reminder to work into a program, to work into an onboarding process, to work into my marketing messages. That's super helpful to me, probably because also safety or structure and certainty is <laughs> it's really helpful uh, to me. It makes me feel safe as well. Um, so I, I'm wondering if that's also true for you and like how are how does this kind of manifest in your business? in an external facing way, in the way that you actually interface with your clients. So one of the buckets is also a discussion of difference. Like remembering that like, we are different. <laughs> we are different humans. I love a calendar. Yeah. Some of my friends and, and colleagues and business associates do not, right? It makes them feel yeah. stifled. And I'm like, oh, can't relate, but okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> and just... Being able to shift how we feel about difference. Um, one of the things that Jenea FutureCon has a fantastic series on Instagram. Uh, they've done Sunday sermons for, they did Sunday sermons for more than a year. And um, one of them is about bias discrimination. I will send you the link because it's fantastic. But one of the points they make is that we gravitate towards people who are like us. That's true. Like, that's just true. And how we relate to difference is we can have moments in our body where difference feels scary. And what do we do when that difference feels scary? James Olivia Chu Hillman, who's Inquisitive Human on Instagram, is also about radical relating. What do we do with difference? Um, that idea of like, do we have to squash it? Or can we live in this space of what does difference look like? And so one of those big pieces is going, I do it this way. How do you do it? And being in conversation mm -hmm. about that rather than saying, oh, we have to do it my way, which is, I will admit, the pull that I have, which I don't think is that uncommon for people who run their own business. It's like, we go do it my no. way. Thank you. Uh, so just sitting in that space and having language around the ways we do things that are different. Um, and I also have this conversation uh, with folks. Can we all get our needs met at the same time always? No. However, if we are in an activated space, so like according to polyvagal theory, and if you talk about window of tolerance is another way of talking about it. If we are in a fight or flight or a freeze response, we do not have access to the part of our brain that holds nuance. And so if we're in an activated moment, we do not have access to the part of our brain that can be creative about getting our collective needs met. And so one of the big things is going, let's talk about our needs in advance. Let's talk about this stuff together in advance. And 
that is not rocket science. And yet people don't do it all the time. Right. So talk about it in advance, because then we have that capacity to say, oh, this is what you need. This is what I need. How can we be creative about getting kind of most of the way there for both of us? Right. Um, or sometimes that solution of like, oh, yes, we'll do this and then this or this and then that. And, and that actually works. Sometimes you can get your needs, all of your needs met. Um, the other rub is one of one of the people that I've worked with regularly was like, Liz, I don't think I can get my needs met. And I was like, you can't alone. You have to get your needs met. You can't do it alone. So there's so many of us because of white supremacy culture that will say, I have to do it alone. I have to get my needs met as an individual or as a family unit, right? Not enough. Not enough humans. <laughs> it's not enough humans. We have to be doing it collectively. We cannot do it alone. And so that's a like tricky, that's tricky, 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 tricky. And hard for those of us that uh, I call it vigilant self-reliance is how is my particular brand of trauma response, right? <laughs> I will do it myself. <laughs> I can do it myself. I'm going to do it myself because nobody else can be trusted ever. Getting out of that and saying like, we have to, we have to meet our needs collectively, which means we have to be in conversation about it in business, at home, in organizing spaces, whatever. I love it. Um, we could talk about this. Not I, I said this to someone else yesterday too. We could talk not just all day, but like all week maybe for years, <laughs> so much, Forever. <laughs> um, but as we do start to wrap up here, one of the questions that I'm really interested in as we explore values is uh, sort of the things that we decide not to do because of our values, the shoulds, the supposed tos, the obvious like low hanging fruit kind of things that we say, you know what, that's not for me. That's not what I, for what I'm building. That's that's not in line with the vision that I have for the world. Tell me about something that you've decided against because of your values. I don't ever want people to feel broken. So my messaging everywhere that messaging goes, right? Um, which is far too many places in the universe at this moment. I, I won't do the thing that's like, here's the problem you obviously have so that I can fix it for you, so that I can be your savior. I don't believe people are broken. I do believe we all need support. And so treading that line of saying like, here are some ways that people might need support without being like, here are the ways that you're broken and not good enough. And that butts up against a lot of uh, traditional marketing and business knowledge, right? That is like, you know, take someone's pain and exploit it for money, please. Um, and I know obviously like what works is very much about um, doing business differently, Toy Smith's business for the people. There are other folks who are uh, Alice's The Ethical Move. Um, there are other folks who are doing work in that arena. Um, but I would say not enough. <laughs> there are never enough, right? Because so much of the wisdom is still, you have to do it this way. So I think my values, the rubber hits the road in like a sales process as much mm -hmm. as, and, uh, 
and saying, how do I message this in a way that makes it clear, but doesn't lean into those sort of brokenness pieces? That's one thing. Yeah, I love that because I've been trying to find a different way of talking about understanding the quote unquote problem that your customer has. Cause I agree, like the language is problematic. The it's, and it's just not super productive for the vast majority of people I work with either. Cause they're like, well, this, I, I'm coming up with something. I don't, I'm not solving a problem. I'm, I'm doing something else. And I have not been able to come up with language that I really like yet. And I like this question of how do people need support? How do they need to be supported? What are the different ways that they could get that support? What is my way of offering that support? And how do I message that? Like that to me is a super interesting way uh, to think about that particular marketing conundrum, which does bump up against so many of our values. So I appreciate that. <laughs> um, Liz, what are you excited about right now? What am I excited about right now? I think sometimes it's hard to be excited. Sometimes it's hard to be excited because the world still feels yeah dangerous. The world feels dangerous in a lot of ways because of the pandemic and the ways that it is and isn't being taken care of. Um, the very simple yeah. answer. Oh, I have two answers. One, I'm working on a workplace tarot deck that I have had in mind uh, since I figured out uh, the elemental needs. Uh, in my mind, they've sort of always tracked to a tarot deck. And so I'm doing this really manual process of like learning to light a cut, uh, which is cutting linoleum carving for people who do not know what that is. Um, and it's a really, I think there's a lot of intuitive, there's a lot of place for intuition in business and it doesn't get used that way. Um, so the question is sort of like, how do you get your needs met? Um, but it's in a deck style thing. So hopefully we're, I'm doing all of the work on it. Um, and ideally it'll be early 2022, but time is a construct. So who the hell knows? Who knows? And the other thing is that Harry Styles is on tour again. Uh, and I'm a One Direction fan. And so I'm a 40 year old One Direction fan. This is all you need to know about me. And uh, so he's coming to Los Angeles in November. Hopefully, if the tour doesn't get like sidelined by the aforementioned, uh, we are not okay. So um, hoping that it is safe enough for folks come November to gather indoors in Los Angeles. There you go. Those are the things I'm excited about. <laughs> Liz Welty, thank you so much for sharing your values, uh, your North Star values, your constellation values, the lenses that inform your work and how that actually plays out in the way you do business. I'm really grateful for this conversation. Thank you so much. Toward the end there, Liz said that one way she's been operationalizing her values is by leaving room for other people's experiences and ways of doing things. And that's something I've been thinking about a lot lately for a whole host of reasons and in a whole slew of applications. Similarly, the more I've just learned about working with people in general, the more I've learned to not assume that my experience is someone else's experience. And, you know, that sounds so simple, right? But what I've learned is that I make all sorts of assumptions about other people's experiences, their families of origin, their education, their taste in movies, or what their home life is like now. And when I make those assumptions, 
I leave the door wide open for excluding people, or worse, harming people. It also opens the door to paternalism or thinking that you know what someone else needs better than they do. Liz said that challenging this kind of thinking can start with shifting your language. The way we speak changes the way we think. She offered up the example, this is how I do it, how do you do it? Or you could say, this is my experience, what's your experience? Or this is what I need right now, what do you need right now? This kind of dialogue operationalizes a value for inviting difference into your business or even your life. And that's great because that difference exists whether you're willing to engage with it or not. Find out more about Liz and her work at futureproofskillslab.com and listen to Sustainably Human at Work wherever you listen to What Works. Next week, I'm talking with Alice Carolina about the ethical move and her vision for more ethical marketing and sales practices, as well as how her value for collaboration and collective problem solving has shaped the evolution of that business. What Works is produced by Yellow House Media. Our production coordinator is Lou Blazer. Emily Kilduff is our production assistant. And Marty Seafelt edited this episode. 